sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Well, amen. Happy July the 4th weekend for you as church body. Welcome to church, church. We played that video as in the beginning as a, a prayer for our nation. For those of us who have um, have gray hair and no hair. We remember days in our country where things were, were different. Things were not so um, undiscoverable. Things were pretty, pretty clear what was right, what was wrong. Today there's a lot of blurred lines. There's a lot of uh, issues that we face as Christians that challenge the very fiber of our faith, the very foundation of the Christian faith. We wanted to interrupt our uh, family series to speak today on the issue of calling America back to God. There's a song that came out several years ago that said we need to get America back to God. What did that mean? What did that mean? Does that mean that God had left us? No. Does it mean that uh, we have no hope? Of course not. Well, that song, and for those like uh, you and me that believe the, the biblical concept of the founding of this nation, founded on the principles of God's Word, as imperfect as it was, our, the goal was that it be a more perfect union, and that is that it's a continual work. We look back at the history of our country, and we see how we've been able to overcome a lot of injustices. And there were plenty of them. But as long as there's sinful men, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be sinful injustices. But because of the founding of our nation and those that 52 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 52 of those had seminary degrees. They were men who looked to our Creator and who believed in the, the, that this nation was a unique, not just experiment, but a unique way of life that would be able to be a shining light into a world that was dark and different. If it were not for the missions work that comes out of the United States of America and from our churches around the world, um, there would be many countries that would be in dire straits. America is a great country. Do you agree with that? Say amen. It is, um, I've had the privilege to travel in lots of different places around the world. But every time I fly back into the United States of America, there is something that changes inside of me saying, God bless America. Because I've seen some of the things in these other countries. 
The very poorest of our poor here would be rich in some of the countries where I've been, such as the country of Haiti, where their per capita income is $350 a year. Now think about that for a minute. There's so many um, things as we look across our world and see the needs that are there. I want us to look at a passage in the book of Nehemiah. If you'll turn there with me in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Nehemiah is, the nation of Israel is at a crossroads, and I think that it's a good parallel for us as Americans today. We're at a crossroads. The nation of Israel had been taken captive. They've been away from their nation for over 70 years. But God promised to bring them back. Zerubbabel has gone back before Nehemiah and had started rebuilding the temple. The foundations were rebuilt, and then there were attacks from the, all the people around, Sadballot and Tobiah and those other nations that were around. They attacked, and, and it slowed down the, progre the progress of the building of the temple. So Nehemiah gets word. Let's read. Uh, you read along with me as I read uh, out loud. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. In other words, there was a delegation that had come from Jerusalem here uh, to Jeremiah, I mean to Nehemiah in the palace of Shushan. And I asked them concerning the Jews. In other words, how are things in Jerusalem? The Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there, and notice how he describes it, in great distress and reproach. And here's the springboard that I want to use today to talk about the walls that have been attacked in our nation. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. In those biblical times, major cities would have walls built all around it. It was a defensive issue so that the enemy couldn't just come and walk in and, and take over and destroy everyone. There would be at least a buffer of a wall with those soldiers around the wall that would be able to protect the city. But the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down and had been down over 70 years and if you read and continue reading the story here of Nehemiah, as he goes back and surveys what's going on there, he's riding a donkey, and the debris and all of the destruction is so bad that the donkey can't continue. He has to get off of the donkey and walk through and survey the damage of the city and the walls around the city. Now, God works a great miracle because in 52 days, amazingly, Nehemiah is able to lead a group of people 
to rebuild the walls with all of the enemies attacking, and then later on we'll see in about 15 years they will finish the temple and worship will begin again there in the city of Jerusalem. But what does he describe for us here? He says the walls uh, have been broken down and the gates are burned with fire. I want to talk about some of our walls that we have here in the United States. You know, we have a wall or foundation. We have those things we, that we call freedom and liberty. One of the walls that we see is being attacked uh, all around uh, by many secular uh, organizations and those who are anti any type of religion or faith issue in our country at all. I want to just read some of you things. There, the walls of Christianity are being attacked. Let me read something for you here that um, Adrian brought to my attention this week. She sent this to us, and I thought it would be something that uh, um, would help us understand when we talk about the, raw, the walls of our faith. As you know, last month was, was what? This past month was called what? Pride Month. There's a church called Edina Community Lutheran Church, ECLC, in, in uh, St. Edina, Minnesota. It is a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church denomination in America, the ELCA. In celebration of this past month in their church, they came out with a new creed, a new confession. Listen to this confession and see if we want to adopt this. This is what the, the pastor says. I invite you to rise in body or spirit, and let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Now, would you want to adopt that creed? Negative. The walls of 
a solid denomination, Lutheran Church of America, has lowered themselves to remove the truth of God's word. And they have a new creed, the Sparkle Creed. How did these walls get torn down? Well, we're not here for a history lesson today, but I want to give you just a, little, just a little rundown of history of some of the things that have taken place uh, legally over the past many years in, in, in my lifetime. And there's been so many that it's impossible to cover them all, but I want to point out two or three that really have destroyed the founding um, Judeo-Christian ethic or is trying to destroy the founding Judeo-Christian ethic of this nation. There was a, a test that was brought to the Supreme Court in 1962. It was called Engel versus Vitale. In New York, in the state of New York at that time, it was a law that required that each day the Pledge of Allegiance and a non-denominational prayer in which the students uh, recognized their dependence upon God. The law allowed students to absent themselves. In other words, they could be dismissed if they didn't want to participate, if they found it objectionable. A parent sued on behalf of his child, arguing that the law violated the established clause of the First Amendment, that Congress shall make no law establishing any religion. He said that it violated the First Amendment and was made applicable to the states through um, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. It passed by a 6 to 1 vote. And here was the reasoning behind this and what was it? To remove the reading of the Bible and a non-denominational prayer as a part of opening exercise of the classes in New York State. And listen, there were many other states that did it as well, and we could look at each one of them, but let's see what it says. Here the majority, Justice Black uh, was the chief justice, he held that school-sponsored prayer violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. The majority stated that the provision allowing students to absent themselves from this activity did not make the law constitutional. In other words, if someone objected to it, they could leave, but he said that's, that's not good enough. It, it might uh, embarrass them to do that. So you can't do that. It doesn't satisfy the Establishment Clause. So they eradicated legally the reading and the law that said that the Pledge of Allegiance and the reading of the Bible would be removed from all public institutions, particularly educational institutions. There was another one that happened in 1980 called Stone versus Graham. Here, many of you will remember this, it was all about the Ten Commandments. The court held that the state of Kentucky had a statute, statute 
that required that the Ten Commandments be posted in school classrooms. The Supreme Court rules that that is a violation of the First Amendment and the Establishment Clause. The court concluded that even though the commandments were paid for by a private institution, in other words, it didn't cost the school board anything, it didn't cost the school organization anything, another institution provided it, all the law required was that they be posted, merely posted on the wall. And he says the mere posting of the copies under the auspices of the legislature provides the official support of the state. In other words, putting them on the wall in the school classroom is saying that it's state-sponsored. So they struck it, the law down, and this is their defense. I want to read to you what their, their main idea was and their ruling was for taking down the Ten Commandments off of the wall. Nobody had to recite them. Nobody had to do anything. But they were just to be posted. Now listen, it says, this is not a case. This was the majority uh, well, writing from, this is not a case in which the Ten Commandments are integrated into the school curriculum. In other words, uh, they were not a part of the school curriculum where the Bible may constitutionally be used in an appropriate study of history, civilization, ethics, comparative religion, and so on. But this is what they said. Posting of religious text on the wall serves no such educational function. In other words, there's nothing educational-wise that could be achieved from posting these Ten Commandments. If it says the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, now listen to this, it will be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps to venerate and obey the commandments. However desirable this might be as a matter of private devotion, it is not a permissible state objective under the Establishment Clause. God forbid that a child might read the Ten Commandments and they might think they need to obey them. No wonder our schools are gun zones now. No wonder that... that, that Children are being killed everywhere. No wonder that we see all the devastation that's going on. The wall of education, public education in this nation from the, from the Capitol there in the White House and from the Supreme Court has said we don't want God in the classroom. Leave him out. And you know, God is a perfect gentleman. And anywhere he's not welcomed... He will walk out. Now, I say that humanly speaking. Is God still there? Yes, he is. But the walls of education, the walls of religion, the walls of faith have been attacked just as the walls of Jerusalem and they're being torn down. What did Nehemiah do? What was his response? Nehemiah was able to visualize the needs in verses 1 through 3. He saw the walls of defense that had fallen. John Corwin in 1808 said this, Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. 
Eternal vigilance is the price of living. In other words, you can't ever stop fighting for freedom and liberty. If you ease up, if you take your foot off of the pedal, moving it forward, then the enemy will attack and try to, dest to destroy. He gives nine steps of growth and disintegration of a nation or a society, and this is in his book. And he says that there are nine steps that a nation goes through. From bondage to spiritual faith. Remember when our forefathers were in bondage in, in England and in Europe? They left there seeking religious freedom and liberty and came to this nation and founded this nation. Then from spiritual faith to courage. As they got here and things began to, to work and to move and the sacrifices they made, they, the, the United States way before it was ever called the United States, when it was just the colonies, people began to take a stand and enjoy the freedom that they had. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to selfishness. From selfishness to complacency. From complacency to apathy. From apathy to dependence. And from dependence back into bondage. And that I believe, is that we are at step number nine in this nation. Everyone seems to think in our world today that it is the government that is to take care of us. Everybody thinks that it is the government to pay all of our debts, to pay all of our bills. It's the government who will send us the check it's the government who, who will step in and be what we call a nanny state, and that's exactly where we are today. And what happens is you give up your freedom for the nanny state to have control over you because the government, listen, the government cannot give you anything that it does not, first of all, take away from you. We are $30 trillion in debt. A million is a thousand thousands. You math folks, help me out here and make sure I'm right. A billion is a thousand million. A trillion is a thousand billion. Now, I had a, uh, a way to let you see what a trillion dollars is, but it was so big I couldn't get it on the screen. A trillion dollars in $1,000 bills weighs 27 tons. Now try to fathom that. Then not only did he see the walls of defense that had fallen, but notice what else. He saw the walls of decency had fallen. Is that not the case for us today in our world? Anything goes, everything goes. We're called to be tolerant. Well, tolerance has the definition of tolerance has changed. Tolerance used to be 
You don't have to believe the same thing I do. That's fine. But I don't have to believe what you believe. But now today, tolerance means that I have to, and you and I have to accept every crazy thing that comes across the TV. We're called bigots. We're called racist. We're called homophobes. We're called transphobes. We're called every name that you can think of simply because we disagree with the moral standards that many are following. Now, I want to be a tolerant person, and if someone wants to live like that, then live it all you want to. But don't tell me that I have to accept it as truth because it is not. But that's what the government is doing for us. It is forcing you and me to accept that as absolute truth. And they're doing that through the money, controlling the money coming into institutions. The walls of decency had fallen. Does character make any difference in the election of public officials? Absolutely it does. Does wisdom make a difference in the election of public officials? Yes, it does. Does example make a difference in the election of public officials? Does trust make a difference in the election of public officials? Absolutely. All of those things are, are things that you and I have accepted. Those are virtues that we stand on and we use to, as, as our standard to be able to make decisions of who we want to serve us. But I want to tell you, those walls have been destroyed over the past many years. When a group of politicians will stand up and say that it is okay to murder a child five minutes before that child is born, That is a hellish group of people. And may God have mercy on our nation. I heard a preacher say one time that if God did not bring judgment on the United States of America, he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at what's going on in our government. The third thing he saw, he saw the walls of doctrine had fallen. And we've talked about that, the, the Lutheran church there in Minnesota, the new Sparkle Creed. We're told that we must tolerate a new and modern gospel for a new and moderate age. Webster's Dictionary, as I said earlier, tolerate means to recognize and respect as the opinions, practices, or behavior of others, whether agreeing with them or not. And there's the, there's the qualifying phrase, whether you agree with them or not. But tolerance today does not mean that. Tolerance today means you must agree with them. But not, not only did Nehemiah visualize, but Nehemiah agonized over the needs. In chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, we, you see the process there. It says, so when it was, when I heard these words that I sat down and wept, how many of us are weeping over what's going on in our nation? Does it break your heart to look and to see that the church is being attacked from every direction? 
that those of us who, who believe in, in the simple principles of morality and, and not that we're perfect at anything, but that we, that we believe the Word of God teaches us what is right and wrong what, and, who, and who God created, male and female. There are, you know, I looked on the on website to, uh, the other day and doing some research for this. There are now 82 different genders that you can claim. 82. They got 80 too many. Isn't it phenomenal? My heart breaks that we've got so many people out there who don't know the Lord and they don't understand how God has created them. They are unique and God created them either male or female. But what's happened is the world, the walls of faith and religion have been set on fire. They're being burned down, and there's no standard. If you don't have a standard, an objective standard of truth to measure by, then you have nothing but chaos. You must have and believe in, and I believe the Bible is objective truth. What do I mean by that? I mean simply this. We look at a ruler, and that ruler is 12 inches. I don't care how much you don't like it. I don't care how much you want to change it. You cannot change 12 inches being a foot. Well, I want to change the gender of that ruler. I want to make it, uh, I want to make it a trans ruler, and I'm going to make it 13 inches. You can do that all you want to, but you're going to have a funny-looking house. The objective standard, and it's the standard of morality and justice and all that the Bible gives us and God's design. And when you reject God's design, what have you got? Chaos. You know what, church? That's why we're here. It's to take the message of the gospel and love to those who are lost. You've heard me say this, and I mean it with all my heart, and I know Pastor Matthew does as well that anyone who wants to walk through those doors are welcome to come and to worship here. We will love them. We will do everything we know how to help them, but we will teach them the truth and God's design. We will not accept a lifestyle that is dishonoring to God. But Nehemiah prayed, agonized, mourned, and he put into a plan in action. And he prayed this tremendous prayer. I'm not going to read it all because of time, but verses 4 through 11 of chapter 1 is Nehemiah's prayer. I want you to read it, but there I want you to give you four elements of his prayer. It was a prayer of contrition. In other words, Nehemiah in verse 4 says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He sat down and wept and mourned for many days. Someone has described the church as a dry-eyed church in a hell-bent world. When's the last time that we have shed a tear for people who are lost without Christ? When's the last time we've reached out to individuals who are out there astray in the world and, and the devil has them convinced that they don't... that, that that they've rejected God's standard and, and that they can be and do anything that they want. 
was a prayer of contrition. It was also a prayer of confession. He confesses and says, O Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. He prayed intercessory prayer. He confessed the sins of their nation, and he confessed his own personal sin. And I think that that's a good outline for you and me. The Bible commands us in Romans chapter 13 to pray for those in authority, to pray for those who have leadership over us, and to recognize also the providence and sovereignty of God that Psalm 14 tells us that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. God has used heathen kings before to bring judgment upon his people, and believe me, he can do it again. Nebuchadnezzar, heathen king, came and took the nation of Israel captive. And today we look at, the, we look at our nation and we see these leaders that are up there, and they're absolutely anti-everything that you and I believe. Let me read something else to you, because I believe we're fast moving there, and I believe that we, are, that we are in the very throes of it right now. And hear me out. Don't throw me out this morning when, when I make this statement. I believe our country, instead of being founded as it is on freedom, that our country now is becoming more and more and more socialist and Marxist. How many have ever heard of a guy named Saul Alinsky? He wrote a book, Rules for Radicals. And I'm going to mention a couple of politicians here because I could mention 50 or 60. But I want to mention two particular. Saul Alinsky. Who was he? What was he? He was a radical, and he wrote this book, Rules for Radicals, how to, how to uh, move forward a socialist agenda. If you don't believe it, get the book and read it for yourself. I've read most of it. And he comes out with eight levels of control. He says there are eight things that must be done before you can stop a nation that is democratic and make it more socialist. Eight things. The first one, health care. He says you, the government must control health care and when you control health care, you control the people. Poverty. All of us want to help with poverty, right? Here's what he says. You need to increase the poverty level as high as possible. Poor people are easier to control and will not fight back if you are providing everything for them to live. If their dependence and their uh, sustenance and their ability to be able to exist is all dependent upon the government, then the government has them right where they want and they'll do anything. 
we become sheep being led to a slaughter. The third thing he says, Saul Alinsky says, debt. Increase the debt to an unsustainable level. That, that way you're able to increase taxes, and this will produce more poverty, which will in turn depend, produce more dependency, and then the government can take over everything. You know, our health care system is one-fifth of our national GPA. Number four, you redneck guys are going to really like this one, gun control. Remove the ability to defend themselves from the government. That way you're able to create, create a police society or police state. Number five, welfare. Take control of every aspect of their lives, food, housing, and income. What's the answer today? to the poverty. Throw money at it. Get them dependent upon us. Instead of teaching them and educating them and having high standards for education and instead of using the school system to indoctrinate them with all of these crazy social things that are going on, teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic so that they can make a living. Now there are lots of people out there that need help. And that's a part of what the church exists for us to help. And we're doing things here that will continue, and I hope that we will be able to do even more and more. There are people that are hungry out there that need to be fed, and we need to be feeding them. But we also need to teach them the gospel and the good news of Christ. But notice what else? Education. This is what Walensky says. Take control of what people read and listen to, Take control of what children learn in school. What's the most recent thing? It's, you know, it started, it's already in many of the great big states, New York, California, others. This CRT program, they're calling it. Literally attacking the very foundations of this, what this country was founded upon. And Doc, third, I read this the other day and it broke my heart. Bringing drag queens in to kindergarten up to third graders and letting them do their performances. This is going on in some schools in California, New York, and other places like that. And in libraries. You ought to close the library down before you let something like that go on. But we stand by with our head in the sand and watch it happen. Religion. Number seven, remove the belief in God from the government and schools. They've done a pretty good job of that, haven't they? And then finally, his last one is class welfare. And this is where I want to call... Uh, the two politicians, because their main emphasis was divide people, divide people, divide people, divide the people into wealthy and poor. This will cause more disconnect, and it will be easier to take tax the wealthy with the support of the poor. The poor will demand that you tax the wealthy, divide them into groups, 
divide them into social classes. You see, the dream was to bring us all together. But what have they done? They're dividing us into groups. Thank God, the Supreme Court this past week tore down and started rebuilding one of the walls when they removed this affirmative action. But it was a prayer of confidence as well. It was a prayer of commitment. And then Nehemiah organized to meet their needs. He put together a plan. He sought the king's permission. He received the king's protection. And he obtained the king's permission. Nehemiah was not one of those who said, aren't things bad? And went over in his corner and sat and did nothing. On Nehemiah put together a plan. He saw the problem. He organized for it. And then he put into place a situation to be able to restore it. The problem. He built the wall of Jerusalem back in 52 days. It's a miracle. You say, well, Pastor Ken, it's been a pretty negative uh, connotation to the message today. You know, it's, um, do we have any hope? Oh, yes, we do. What is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in that the church will wake up. Our hope is in the fact that we need to do everything we can. We need to take a stand in those areas where we can. Yes, it's going to cost us. You're going to be attacked. If you go online now and say anything, you know, in reference to righteousness or the foundations of this country, you're going to be attacked. The enemy will swoop in on you and call you everything. This church has been attacked. I've been attacked. Pastor Matthew's been attacked. And we'll continue to do so. That's okay. I'll take the attack. But what we have got to do is to be willing to take a stand. You remember the, there's an old hymn called Dare to Be a Daniel. And it said this, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Can it be changed? Absolutely. You and I have got to take personal responsibility to do everything that we can, and we need to be like Nehemiah and not just sit around on our blessed assurance and not do anything, but to take a stand. You don't have to be ugly to people. I'm not, uh, when I talk to someone who has uh, these different perspectives and, and all of that, I, I don't berate them, and, and that's not my intent ever. I'm just saying I disagree with you and I believe that you're headed down a road to destruction, and I have, I believe, an obligation to warn you. And I do it for your good. And so today, I want to encourage you to take a stand in this righteous land. With all of our problems and difficulties, we still have, I believe, the greatest nation in the world. And it's worth our time and our effort to pray for it, to serve it, and to do everything we can to defend it.
Our military has become a military of wokeism. They're more concerned about white rage and things like that than they are about recruiting. In fact, they can't recruit enough people now in the military. They're like 25 or 30 percent below their uh, need. They can't get anybody to serve. Why? Because they've been told they don't need to. That America is a, is a wicked nation. Why would you want to defend a wicked nation? Our young people's minds are being infiltrated with, with all of the Marxist and socialist ideas. More and more of those are being elected every year. You say, well, what can we do? Don't. You and I are not going to take up arms against our government unless that's the very last resort. It's been done before. And no doubt it may happen somewhere in the future. So how do we, what do we do? We take up arms in the voting booth. And we vote for those who have the same ideas and beliefs that are closest to what we believe. And don't vote for people who are promoting all of these wicked and ungodly things. I want us to close in time of just reflection and prayer and a time of invitation. It's not been a salvation message, but I want to tell you, if you're not saved today, you need to get saved because this world is coming to Jesus really soon. I had a family get mad at me, leave the church because I made this statement that I believed that Christ would come in my lifetime. They said, oh, you set a date. No, I did not set a date. I'm just saying that I believe that he... Listen, I believe he might come before I even get the next word out of my mouth. The time is ripe. There's nothing stopping Jesus from coming for his children. Are you ready? Turn to him. Seek him. Let him guide your life. Lord, thank you today for our time together and for reminding us through the Nehemiah, that uh, we can do something great to affect our nation just as he did. We see the walls of freedom and, uh, being torn down. We see the walls of religion. We see the walls of faith. We see the walls of our education. We see the walls of our government all crumbling and being set on fire with all of these new issues that are destroying the very foundations of what this country was built upon but lord today we pray for our country we pray for our leaders those that are in positions we pray the lord as your word says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the lord i pray the lord you will move their hearts to you and that lord we as your people will be moved to to pray and to do everything that we can praying is good but praying is not enough we need to put feet to our prayers we need to do something we need to do everything that we can to get the gospel message out into all the realms that we can. And so today, Lord, I thank you for your church, a church that believes those things. And as we have come to this time of invitation, maybe there's someone today that has never trusted you that right now they would do so. And that, Lord, they would uh, open their heart to you and realize their need for you. 
maybe Lord as a as a church today maybe there's some who um, you you're you have touched their heart and they just need to and they want to just come and pray for our, our nation pray for their family pray for the things that are going on because the family is being destroyed in all of this as well Lord we love you we praise you and we thank you and we give you all the praise and glory in Christ's name amen Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.